Hey everyone, welcome to episode 165 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm in my first run in Hades with the railgun, so... <laughs> the first the first post-full-release run with the railgun? Yeah. I, I only pick the weapon with all the darkness... And this is the first time I've played the railgun in like 20 runs. That's pretty weird. Is it just completely random or is there some sort of like rubber banding built in? Does it like make up for it if you... I don't know. I think it must be random though because 20 is a lot. I've definitely loaded in and been like, man, I just haven't played fists in like forever. So I don't know. I, I don't always go. I tend to go with the one with the darkness on it. If anybody knows what we're talking about, you know. <laughs> Everybody should play Hades. It's an incredible game. I I have been having a ton of fun with it. It's kind of dangerously addictive, but it is a perfect Switch roguelike with a ton of character and a ton of... Just, if you like Slay the Spire, if you like action games, it's a good combination of concepts of of those things. Yeah, I usually play one like a run before bed or when I'm waiting for CCR to get ready to podcast. This time I was doing a run while I was waiting for you to be ready to podcast. So you're ready to podcast? I am. I am. Nice. I killed Hades. I'm all set. Before we get started, today we're going to talk about just standard and historic because we've got the grand finals coming up, which is... I I do want to talk about the concept of the tournament a little bit because it is kind of weird, but that is split format, standard, and historic, so we're going to be talking about both of those formats some. Standard didn't quite go the way that we totally predicted after the Euro ban, but there's there's actually quite a bit to talk about. Before we get into that, I want to take a quick shout out to our patrons. We really, really appreciate y'all's support. If you'd like to become a patron and give us some support to keep the show going, Head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, sign up, hang out in the Discord, we will send you some swag, you will get access to our bonus episodes, including the upcoming Zendikar Rising Limited bonus episode, and I've got some thoughts on Zendikar Rising Limited, I've been playing a lot of drafts. Yeah, same. We're set to record that this weekend, around there, so yeah, that'll be nice. So we should have it up next week. Mm-hmm. Kind of a bummer that we're about to watch you know, like a premiere level event right after a set release. And there's, of course, just no limited involved in it. I mean, that doesn't bother me that much because even when the paper pro tours were happening a lot and it was split format, no one ever watched the Lander Downs. And honestly, I didn't either. I did. Well, I only liked them when they started following one player because I hated like just dropping into games and just seeing a bunch of limited decks that I didn't know what was in them. And I didn't know right. how they drafted. That was really annoying. I just didn't care. No, I I agree completely. Like, the problem is not in Limited itself. I think the problem is that Limited requires a higher degree of care to put the coverage together that works for it. When you see somebody who is playing, you, you watch two people playing Modern, and you're watching, like, even right now with the new decks, but you, you know the decks. Somebody is playing Death Shadow Prowess, like Lurus Death Shadow Prowess, against an Omnath Uro deck that's kind of similar to what you've seen before, you mostly like know the things to expect and can the commentators can talk about how the matchup plays out. With limited, it's really, really different. All the decks are always different. And so I think that that requires a very new sort of approach to it that was never 
really implemented. And I think that that is why viewership for Limited was so bad. Not because, like, Limited is inherently unwatchable, but it's a lot of work to do it right, and they kind of never did. And can you imagine just, like, being a commentator and then dropping in on the the tournament where they drafted Modern Horizons? And you see, like, Sam Black and Emma Handy just drafting the five-color nonsense deck that no one had ever seen before. And and you just drop into that, and you're like, what is going on? (laughs) Right, and and that's that's a place where it's, like, impossible to do your research, because they, like, figured that out, and figured out that forcing it just works because it's built out of all these cards that nobody wants, and... Chip Weather the Storm? Perfect. Sign me up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And nobody had done that so you just go into it without no it's not like when you see somebody's modern deck and you're like "Ooh, what's this i've never seen this before let me ask them about it let me figure out how it plays out it's like somebody sits down day one drafts a deck on purpose that looks like nothing you've ever seen but like how do you even like that's definitely a barrier but we are not talking about limited today that's that's (laughs) for our bonus episode we were talking about the grand finals yes the grand finals it's a little strange to me you know this is being touted as like worlds esque, at least in that it's thirty, you know, thirty two players high premier level event, but the qualification method for it is really, to me, a worlds event should be a culmination of a year's worth of Magic the Gathering and the players who did the best over the course of a year. This is the players who top sixteen a pro tour and then top sixteen another pro, like it's just two top 16s it's a really weird way to set up a tournament like this I, I don't understand it even a little bit and it's weird to call it the grand finals too because i i guess wizards is still trying to figure out like organized play stuff for this year once COVID happened it feels like this tournament's just kind of like put together mm-hmm. not intentionally designed to be this way it's just yeah. like kind of they they wanted to have a tournament at this time and they just like figured out how to make it happen Right. Right. That's that's definitely what it feels like. Yeah, we wanted to have a tournament here. Okay, why don't we invite the top 16 from the first two tournaments under this system that we've put together? I'm glad. I'm excited to watch it. There's a lot of very good players in it and a lot of super interesting players and some pretty neat decks from what I have seen. So it'll be fun to watch, but the concept of the tournament is a little strange to me. Where where I'm at in regards to like organized play is... I think I'll, I'll just watch events if the format interests me. And I don't mm-hmm. really, there, there's always going to be good players there or people I recognize. I'm not going to worry too much about how they qualify or whatever. Cause it's yeah. it pretty much varies from tournament to tournament. And I, it's so hard to keep up with. Like it, there's, it's it not is. like the old pro tour system, right? Where I know how they qualified every time. And then the people, and it's a huge tournament, like 400 people. This is just small online tournaments. People qualify through somewhat arbitrarily. Just arcane methods. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but you'll still know the names of the players, and like it's still magic that you're watching. So the other stuff is kind of irrelevant to the viewer experience, but just kind of confusing to me from a conceptual standpoint. I'll tune in, hope Canister's on, cheer him on. (laughs) so split format standard and historic standard recently received an euro ban which was met from many including us by a lot of this really isn't enough to fix standard we've had a couple of events we've had two challenges over the weekend and there was a red bull qualifier 
and those have results. And it's kind of tough to interpret exactly what these results mean because they're not all like telling us the same thing. It would be one thing if it was just Omnath everywhere in every tournament, but that's like very explicitly not the case. But it also would be one thing if Omnath got dumpstered over and over again, and that's not the case either. We just have like really conflicting results from these tournaments. Yeah, and they're the two standard challenges are kind of like the same pedigree. It's a uh, you know just Magic Online Premier Tournament, and then the Red Bull mm-hmm. qualifier is like its own animal. So even if I take out the Red Bull qualifier, it's and just look at the two challenges. It's still really different. Like one of them. Omnath is a not as big of a deal, and the other one, Omnath's fifty percent of the metagame. Yeah, yeah. So in the first challenge, the Saturday challenge, this one has you know four Omnath decks in the top eight, and then a lot more Omnath decks as you scroll down. It is half the lists in this top thirty-two. The Sunday challenge, if you look at that, there's just not a single Omnath deck in the top 16 you have to go down to 19th place before you get to the first i guess it's not the first deck with white mana in it because there's a mono white deck in second place somehow but it is a story of two tournaments i don't understand really how to process the vast difference in results between these two i don't it's hard for me to believe that people looked at the Saturday results and were like, oh, shoot, looks like Omnath is still good. We got to figure out a way to beat it. And then everybody did. <laughs> like, that doesn't seem like what could possibly have happened there. It's also hard to look at results in between tournaments now that you can't view people's replays all the time in Magic Online. Mm-hmm. You just like, kind of have to like be on the ground floor or have someone reporting on it on Twitter to even figure out what's top eighting. Right, right. So... I don't really know what we can do. I mean, we can look at one tournament at a time and we can like look down at archetypes too. There are a bunch of archetypes. I hesitate to say viable in standard because we don't know that, but at least capable of winning matches given certain parameters. But I am not willing to like make hard calls on any particular deck right now. Well, let's just like look at a few archetypes that people are playing because like the one that won two of these three tournaments is the same deck Rakdos Midrange. Yeah so this is a deck that I believe could not exist. This is a beneficiary of the Uro ban. Yes. This is a deck that could never beat an Uro to save its life. I, I think every deck we're going to be talking about pretty much is going to be a beneficiary of the Uro ban. Uro is one of those cards we wanted banned for a long time. Pretty much, mm-hmm. like, two months after it was printed, we were done with the row. Because <laughs> it was just so stifling to so many different types of decks. And these slow mid-range decks is one of them, where you just couldn't ever compete with a row. Yeah. This is an archetype that I actually really love to play, and I have played a bunch of it on ladder uh, over the past couple of days. It's just removal and graveyard synergies... You know, a lot of your games are, are actually just like Turbo Kroxa games, but it's a lot of removal, and Bone Crusher Giant is very good in this deck because it likes to switch roles and likes to have dual purpose cards, and Magmatic Channeler is really the thing that like ties the whole room together here, because 
you have games where your removal spells aren't good, so Magmatic Channeler can just get rid of one every single turn and rip through your deck to find your, you know, if Croaks is the important thing in the matchup, which it often is, it gets you to that. If you need to make land drops, it gets you to that. Uh, Channeler is just the bee's knees in this deck. It's kind of like your Planeswalker that mm-hmm. these like slower decks really need if they're going to compete with like other decks going long. Yeah. And it's nice, too, that this one also just turns into a creature some some part way through the game. Yeah, that's kind of unreliable, because as soon as you escape Kroxa, it usually stops being a real creature. That's true, but... that's true. But then you have Kroxa in play, so... Yeah, so it's fine. Uh, and Kroxa is kind of, like, one of the heaviest hitters on the block at this point with, with Uro gone. It's, it's Kroxa's time to shine, for sure. Yeah, Kroxa was always living in Uro's shadow because it just matched up so, so poorly like, in the heads yeah. up. Because like if you're using your graveyard as a resource, those are the two best cards to go after. After Cauldron Familiar got banned. <laughs> so <laughs> now that we're looking at like the escape cards, Kroxa is a really good card just as its own right. And now we don't have to compare it alongside Uro, just Kroxa fueling it and making Uro just so much better. That's not a part of it. So now Crocus just stands alone and really has its time to shine now. Her time to shine? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't... I'm not not sure at all. The other thing that is really helpful to this deck that I don't think it could exist without is the spell lands. Because for two reasons. Number one, it's really nice to be able to choose like the number of lands versus the number of spells that you draw in a game with a deck like this that really doesn't you are resource light you don't have card drawing really in this deck you don't have card advantage except for escaping croxa so drawing a bunch of lands a bunch of extra lands if they deal with your magmatic channeler it could be a really big deal and you could just not have enough resources having a lot of those be spells is a big difference so that's really helpful. And also there's no dual land for these colors. So you have to run a lot of lands to have the correct number of black sources and the correct number of red sources. So that's the only way to do it. There is four Temple of Malice. Come on. Yeah. You get four of those. We, we don't Fable have a Passage. Pathway. We don't have a Shock Land. I mean, Fable Passage is kind of wonderful in this deck. It's extremely helpful. I, I'll also call out Wrinkle and Bone Crusher Giant as card advantage cards too. Yeah. Because those are also pieces that help you just keep playing the game. Both Throne of right. cards. For sure. There's no card drawing, though. Yeah, that doesn't no card drawing. fit into the equation. But it's fine. As long as you can find some ways to get ahead in card, even if you're not like, just drawing cards for your deck, like Bone yeah. Pressure Giant and Wrinkle, those are both good tools to help you keep going. Yeah. Yep. I don't know exactly how this deck is ultimately supposed to be built is very flexible you know you get to choose exactly the interaction that you want for the metagame that you are in i wish that there were some way to not run timorite calls the dead in the deck because that card is atrocious and it costs a lot of mana and it sometimes you're forced to cast it and just hope that you hit a creature and then you don't get a 2-2 out of it when you miss and it's just like well that was really bad i guess i'm probably gonna lose this game now but it is just too important for filling your graveyard for croxa and i don't think you could cut it which is too bad because if you could cut it then i think you can make this into a Luris deck and it would be pretty happy being that 
but there's just no way to mill yourself for enough cards without like a stitcher supplier or something like that yeah i wonder if you could just i was gonna say play alaris main deck and then maybe shave a timurat calls the dead just to have a little better extra synergy if you don't want to play the full four but you still need some to help enable Kroxa. yeah it just like is a glue card and it's not great but because you are so like Kroxa is so important you you never win a game without escaping Kroxa. it's actually impossible of course so you need to set it up and you need to engage actively in setting it up all right that makes sense and do you know you said you've been playing it a lot on ladder do you know like the omnath matchup not really because i have just not seen very much omnath on the ladder i i think i played against it twice uh once my opponent like conceded on turn three of both games because i think they were missing a land drop or something like that it was really weird the other time i played against emma handy playing the adventures version of it and just got kind of dumpstered because i i think the adventures version is really not a good matchup for this deck i think the more removal you have in your deck the weaker you are against like lucky clover type strategies Mm -hmm. that's why shredded sales we see in the decks main decks of these so many shredded sales in this format now (laughs) Yeah, you get it's just two mana, deal four to a fire, or kill an artifact, and you can cycle it for two. So it's really got three modes, and one of those is drawing a card instead of having this bad card in your hand. So Are there any flyers it deals with? It's just Terror of the Peaks, right? Yeah, it deals with Terror of the Peaks. It also is good against the Rogue's deck. It's just an extra oh, removal, removal spell, spell that takes out the 1-3. The so it's versatile enough to be fine, but certainly is never going to be an exciting card. I've really liked skyclave shade as a sideboard plan for this deck against the other grindy decks just when you play that turn two it's just such a good threat although they seem to have spike field hazard literally every time that i've cast this on turn two i i also see the nighthawk scavengers too is like extra Mm -hmm. creatures you can board in yeah to be like the same kind of deal you just like can tailor having less removal in your deck and more creatures and that's pretty nice yeah, I rarely have been bringing those in as threats against other removal decks because it's just such a like tempo loss and stuff and you have other things to do with your mana on turn three. It's pretty much like I, I really like them in the gruel and mono green matchups and obviously like mono red, but that doesn't really exist. But just a big death touch lifelink flyer in those matchups is, is what you want. I mean, you say Mono Red doesn't exist, but there are quite a few Mono Red decks in the second challenge, the one that Omnath dominated. Yeah. A a fifth of the field is Mono Red. (laughs) That is surprising to me because it has been unimpressive when I've seen it play out. I think it's just trying to get underneath Omnath. Mm -hmm. And it can do that some amount of the time, but not all the time. Because if you let the game go for too long, you're never going to beat Omnath itself for life a turn yeah <laughs> right but if you can get under them or have an early ember cleave you have a good chance of just killing them like killing lotus cobra into pressure is always fine mm-hmm. yeah that's certainly the plan there i don't think it matches up particularly well against like the mid-rangier decks in the format we're starting to see like rock dose or even gruel i think it's not suited to those kind of matchups sure yeah i mean any deck with bone crusher giant in it it's not going to be happy to play against i mean every deck has bone crusher giant in it pretty much yeah that's the thing bone crusher giant is everywhere uh one thing that i thought was really smart and i am interested to see how it plays out i saw uh emma and autumn posted their lists that they registered for the grand finals their standard gruel deck actually doesn't have questing beast in it 
and they didn't provide any specific explanation besides, hey, notice that we don't have questing beasts like eyebrow, eyebrow. And my guess is that just has to be because Bonecrusher Giant is so, like, what you want to do with Bonecrusher Giant is kill their two drop and then block a questing beast. And holy crap, you got a lot out of your super versatile, powerful, cheap card. Yeah, and questing beast just doesn't really go through things the way it used to. Right. There's so many things that just kill it or block it. And you can't give these decks like Omnath time. They'll just bury you. And there's a certain amount of... You're more encouraged to play spot removal now because of the aggro decks in the format and killing Omnath is a way to beat the Omnath decks. Everything that kills Omnath also kills Questing Beast. Yep. And... Thundering Rebuke being the main card. Right. And there's also very few Planeswalkers being played. Like, you're not going to catch a Narset or it's a fairy for free or anything like that anymore. So I I think that Questing Beast is still powerful, especially in an Embercleave deck, but kind of at an all-time power level low. You know, you're right. There's not, like, pretty much any Planeswalkers being played nowadays. That's really unusual for modern yeah. magic. <laughs> Lose War of the Spark and nobody wants to play the bad Planeswalkers we got left. Huh. That's that's super interesting. I have I I've been keeping up with the format, but I hadn't really like thought about mm-hmm. how there's no planeswalkers until you mentioned the questing beast text. Yeah. Ashiok is like the only one that I've seen played against me. I've been playing Liliana in my version of the Rakdos deck, which is not a necessary card, but at the spot in ladder that I'm in, it has seemed fine because I've been playing like a lot of mirrors and it's better than Rankle against the green decks gruel and mono green so it's kind of a a more versatile use of that like four mana slot in the deck so that's that's why i've been running that card but other than, other than that no planeswalkers whatsoever i do you have emma's list handy because i i kind of want to look at it it's probably hey. on the player. uh, uh yes i oh, i didn't even mean to <laughs> no, I, I know yeah so here's emma's list edgewall innkeeper only Bonecrusher Giant and Lovestruck Beast for Adventure Guys, uh, Gem Razor in the four-ish slot, and no <laughs> Questing Beasts, Brushfire Elemental, and Scavenging Ooze as the two drops, and yeah. So generally, like, kind of specifically targeted towards, you know, getting them dead quickly, Kazandu Mammoth is really, really good with Ember Cleave, and just sort of dancing around the specific interaction and the, the cards that are in this format. I think trying to be good against Bonecrusher Giant is a big part of why this deck is built the way it is. Yeah, there's even two Evolving Wilds in addition to the four extra Fable Passages to cement the Kazandu Mammoth plan. Yeah, yeah, and with the Brushfire Elementals, like, that's, that's actually a pretty yeah. hefty landfall package. You and, and you get to play a little extra lands in Shatter Skull Smashing, which are pretty mm-hmm. much primarily lands, I'd have to imagine. I really like the addition of Gem Razor instead of Questing Beast that Emma and company have done, because I think she worked on this with a few other people. Mm-hmm. But Gem Razor is one of those cards which really... It doesn't seem like a haste threat, but it often is, especially mm-hmm. putting it on an Edgewell Innkeeper and a Stonecoil Serpent, just upgrading your board substantially. Right, well, and even the... Like, putting it on Brushfire Elemental... Now you've got a 4-4 with Landfall, it gets plus 2, plus 2, instead of a 1-1 with that. And it has Trample, because Gem Razor has Trample. So giving any Landfall creature Trample is going to be huge. Yes. Yeah, no, I I like how this deck is built. It's really clean. I'm pretty into it. And and 
One thing that I've seen a lot is my opponents using Primal Might as a removal spell, but the creature that they pump with it doesn't have Trample, so they, like, kill one of my things, and then I can block with a zombie or whatever I've got and just soak up seven or more damage. Mm -hmm. And if you are giving yourself the ability to have more Trample in your deck, then that is that really helps the four Primal Might deck. Yeah, I think that's probably one of Emma's reasons for going this route, and I think it's really smart. Yeah, I like this list. Uh, I'll be excited to see it play out. You can't even accidentally kill your own Stone Quill Serpents by mutating onto it because it's an opponent controls. So only <laughs> targeting Lucky Clovers with those Gem Razors. Yeah, Gem Razor is another reason why I despise Timurek Calls the Dead. Oh. <laughs> I, I've just had it be like, all right, well, here's my turn three. Make a 2-2. Two -two, and then they're just like, make my guy gigantic. Kill your enchantment. Swing in. Like, nice card, buddy. Wow, you made a 2-2 with your Timurek Calls the Dead? How lucky. I just can't even block anything that they have in play. Like, Yeah, and I might have missed. I might have missed on the 2-2. Two -two. <laughs> That's the real beating, is when you miss on the 2-2, two -two, then they gem raise you and kill you. Yes. The Timurek Calls the Dead's come out in all of the gem raiser matchups. I just don't... Let, I, I have no desire to let that happen to me anymore. Gem raiser are one of my favorite, like, constructed cards from Akoria. Like, the only mutate one that matters. For sure. Yeah, I tried playing a little of the Scoot Swarm Mutate deck, and it's really cute, but it's really bad. Yeah, these decks don't have Arboreal Grazer. That was like the best card of the Mutate deck when I was yeah. playing it beforehand. Because you really needed all the Mutate cards are just like a mana too expensive, except for Gem Razor. So you right. just really needed as many accelerants as possible. And without Arboreal Grazer, you just don't do anything often enough on turn two. You also, like, can't beat a sweeper, like, can't beat an opponent who's smart with their instant speed removal spells. Yeah. Like, there's just a million things that you can't beat. I even lost to Mono... Like, I only played a couple of games with it, and then I was just like, yeah, this is not worth doing. I even lost to Mono Green when I went off, but then they just put a Gem Razor onto a Gilded Goose, attacked me for four, <laughs> I couldn't kill them in one attack, and then they attacked me for four again. <laughs> All right. You got this one, Gilded Goose. Now, you know, you could ask the question, why is Gilded Goose in my opponent's mono green deck? But it didn't matter. It killed me. I assume it was like a one-of for a little extra acceleration or whatever. I don't know. People do weird stuff with these mono green decks. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely got me and it made me go, yeah, we're not we're not doing Scoot Swarm ever again. You know, in standard, the two of the tournament, the regular qualifier and the challenge, second place and first place are the same deck. We already talked about Rakdos Midrange. The second place in both of those tournaments was Mono White. That's, yeah, This that's so weird. I don't, can you explain this Mono White deck to me? Can God, you, I wish like... I could, Chris. I really do. Because it doesn't appear, like, anywhere else. In the, the other tournament, the third one, the one that Omnath dominated, Mono White is nowhere to be seen. And that's where I think you would, like, want to play, like, a kind of a, you know, 12-1 drop Mono White deck. Try to kill them. Kind of like Embercleave style. Right. But this, this, like, this is really the kind of that. list where you look at it and you're like, huh, all of these cards are so bad. Oh, I see. It's a Winota deck. Or, oh, I see. You've got Venerated Loxodon. But there's no moment like that when you look at this list. It's just like the bad cards continue on as you like keep reading through the list. It's a bunch of one drops. Luminarch Aspirant is a card that I like, but isn't going to make a deck full of medium cards good. And just, like, kind of medium 
aggressive creatures. Skyclave Apparition is a card that I like a lot, but I like I just don't really see how that lets you take your opponent down. I, this deck doesn't doesn't do it for me. What's bizarre here is that uh, this deck has Venerable Knight in it, which is the two one for one that you put a counter on a knight when it dies, mm-hmm. but it has no other knights. It only works with itself. Yeah, Savannah Lions. <laughs> So yeah, I mean you gotta have your one drops. That that means this deck's not really focused on doing any synergy things. It just wants to put creatures out on the board, maybe disrupt your opponent a little bit with Skyclave Apparition, and then yeah. Throw... I mean maybe Mall of the Skyclaves is just that good. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was about to say. I think you just throw Mall of the Skyclaves and just cross the finish line after you get your initial burst out, and that's like yeah. how you win the game. I don't see how you win yeah. the game any other way. I mean, there's four in this deck, and that that is the only thing that makes sense to me, is there's a decent number of fine targets. Put it on a Season Hallowblade, you got a five-power flyer. Put it on a Shepherd of the Flock, you got a five-power flyer. Like, put it on a Skyclave Apparition, you're using that body that couldn't really do anything, and it's become a 4-4 flyer. So, like, definitely is trying to make the most of its Maul of the Skyclaves. And I think it's often, they're often just bigger than that, too, because Luminarch Aspirant is one of those cards that gives a lot of damage, and having mm-hmm. Maul of the Skyclaves convert those stats into direct damage with flying is really important for these kind of decks that normally just don't have any reach i do not want to play this deck against any bone crusher giant deck so (laughs) yeah i don't i mean there's two baneslayer angels in the sideboard and that's kind of it the sideboard for both these decks this is the exact same 75 i believe and the sideboard is just kind of wild there's some containment priests for croxa i guess that's fine sure uh, some copies of some extra creatures. Then there's Idol of Endurance and Lava Brink Adventurer, which both inclusions are surprised me. Lava Brink Adventurer is weird to me. Like, the sweeper that I've seen the most is Extinction Event anyways. Right. It's not, like, a damage-based. Like, you're not getting this down and, like, this is a guy that survives Storm's Wrath. It's, like, just also gonna die with all of your ones to Extinction Event. I don't know, maybe there's some creature matchup where it's pretty good. But I mean, you kind of... And you also, like, half, half the time you just have to pick even anyway because otherwise you can't maul the Skyclaves it. <laughs> True. <laughs> Which is a bit of a nonbo. I don't know. I'm not really... This this deck doesn't do it for me. I'm not I, into it. I It got second in two different tournaments. There's got to be some reason why that happened. Yeah. I, I think it's probably just a fine deck. Like, Maul of the Skyclave and Luminarch Aspirant, I think, are very good in this kind of show. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're not, like, super flexible because you're playing Mono White and your cards haven't been that good. But enough of your cards are fine where you can just have results, even if you're not, you know, playing Omnath and Uro and all that stuff. See, the Maul of the Skyclave's plan, once they've, like, locked up the board a bit, the problem is that Omnath gains four life a turn. <laughs> And that's mostly what you're, you know, you maybe you're attacking for a little bit more with your mall creature, but I, I don't know. I don't super see this working out. Yeah, I would love to see, there's a McKinney Stampede, which is the plus two plus two double face land, mm-hmm. and a Kabir Takedown, which is the good one, the, just a damage spell in white, equal to yeah. number of creatures you control. One of my favorite cards in the limited format, certainly. Yeah, I've never played that card as a land, but. <laughs> right, that's. I would like but you can if you really have to. I would like to see more Kybera takedowns and just no McKinney stampedes. Yeah. Because if you're trying if you're if Omnath is a an issue because it's a four four that you can't race with all the Skyclave stuff, 
you gotta have something more than just Skyclave Apparition to so- to solve it. Yeah. I'm probably not gonna work on this deck enough to find that out. Uh, I guess we should kind of go over just sort of the archetypes that I've seen be the most common and that I've seen to pop up the most. I am still confused by this, like, one tournament is all Omnath, one tournament is no Omnath thing. And there doesn't seem to be a particular consensus from, like, the lists that we've seen from people going into the grand finals. There's definitely not just everybody being like, yeah, we all figured out how to beat Omnath, so nobody should register the deck. Like, a lot of very good players have registered Omnath decks for this tournament. So it 100% still exists, and every deck needs to take that into account. So Omnath decks, a couple of different variants. I think the Adventure variant is probably the most common at this point you kind of replace uro's ability to play grindy games with the adventure suites ability to play grindy games Mm -hmm. so you still have kind of the same range of playable magic the gathering games with the deck but you don't have quite the gigantic over-the-top genesis ultimatum turns but you still have access to a lot of good payoffs when you're getting omnath mana between your uh, escape to the wilds and Fae of just wishes wishing stuff. with Fey of wishes yeah, yeah. the the Which when can... you go second land trigger Fey of wishes or granted that yeah. feels really nice yeah yeah especially if you if you got the clover like you got them in the in the squeeze at that point if you whatever you get if you resolve double granted when not with all that in play you're probably just winning right yeah definitely there is the other Omnath deck too, though. The one that doesn't play the adventure package and is just still on Genesis Ultimatum Escape to the Wilds. Yeah. The thing it's replaced Uro with is just a bunch of Felidar retreats, mostly is what I've seen. There's two ways you can go. I think Felidar retreat is the most common one that I've seen. There's also some people still valiantly trying to do crab stuff, but Ruin Crab only really makes sense if you're going to play a lot of mirrors. It's... It's great in the mirrors, and, like, that's why, like, Dylan won the challenge with it last week. But if your opponent has decided to play a grindy game against you now that there's no Uro, and you draw a one-mana 0-3, like, you're just playing right into their hands. Or, or you're playing against the Rakdos midrange deck we were talking about, and you your draw doesn't quite include Omnath yet. Mm-hmm. So you reach a turn where you could draw a fellow retreat or a crab in your early turns, and you draw the crab, and it doesn't do anything. It's actively terrible. Yeah, it's, you just can't even cast it. Nope, just discard it to Kroxa. It's the best you're going to get out of it. Right, or you're just giving them more Kroxas. Uh, yeah, so don't play crab. Certainly, I definitely would lean towards the adventures build. It just seems generically really, really powerful, and gets to play bone crusher giant which despite being everywhere is still really good in the metagame well it's just like generic right you can't really attack bone crusher giant because it just does so many different things it attacks mm-hmm. well it blocks well it removes creatures it's just a little bit of everything like yeah. a little uro the arrows that doesn't offend me <laughs> i did jerry raised a good point on the last episode of the arena decklist podcast which is that it is unfortunate that like this card that was supposed to, it seems like it was supposed to be kind of a shot in the arm for aggressive stuff. I mean, it's a shock and a solid body, but it's just it's really too... good against the aggressive decks. Yeah, it's too big. Yeah. It needs to be stompable, I think, if you want it to be more aggressively slated. 
yeah, stompable or do what you did with Brazen Borrower and make it like unable to block or something like that. Can only I mean, block maybe... flyers. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the fact that it like kills a thing and then sits there like, yeah, play your questing beast. I couldn't care less is, you know, a little frustrating for a card that clearly is supposed to be a, a, a boon to aggressive decks. I I want to talk a little bit more about the Omnath decks because I want to give the Genesis Ultimatum decks their fair shake. Like I think mm-hmm. the true benefit of the Adventures Shell is that when your opponent disrupts you, you have so many different access of card advantage between Edgewell Innkeeper, Clover, Omnath, and all the adventure cards just by themselves. Yeah. You you're basically undisruptible. On the flip side, the other Omnath deck that plays the really expensive cards, fairly disruptible. Once you kill Omnath or Lotus Cobra, they're set back quite a bit. But this deck does go really far over the top. So right. if you if you're both doing your thing, yeah, then you you this deck just gets there faster. Right. The, I mean, in the heads up, the Adventures deck has more of an ability between brazen borrower and then what you you know wishing for red cat melee and stuff has more of an ability to disrupt on the back end and fewer games get to the point of like we've both got omnath like we're both doing our stuff let's see what happens okay yeah genesis ultimatum is bigger than my stuff if you do get to that point then and, and you know you haven't gotten a chance to wish for some counter magic or anything like that then absolutely the genesis ultimatum like fell our retreat terror of the peaks version of the deck is going to clear the adventures board and get there but yeah the adventures deck is just really strong yeah oh yeah for sure and i didn't really mean in the heads up specifically like because sure. there are a lot of other decks somehow still out there mm-hmm. and if you're like the more removal in your deck the worse you are against the adventures and the like fewer removal in your deck the worse you are against the other on that deck mm-hmm because if yeah. you if you don't have a lot of removal, you're trying to do your own proactive thing, which hopefully you built your deck in a, such that it can compete with adventures, and maybe you'll get there. Maybe you're like Ember Cleaving, and that's fine. But if you are proactive in a way that doesn't be just casting a bunch of Genesis Ultimatums, yeah. you, that's not the Omnath deck you want to play against, you know? Right, right. If you're doing like... Let me turbo mill myself to get out Kroxa, and I, my removal is awkward. Oh, you know, you've got a Lotus Cobra. Like, you're, you're going to lose to the Lotus Cobra and the stuff, for sure. Even if you are, I, I just, I like the Black Red Midrange deck a lot. I haven't gotten a chance to play it very much against the Omnath decks. I, even against the Genesis Ultimatum version of the Omnath decks, like, yeah, I've got plenty of interaction, but you don't kill them that quick. Like, certainly your plan is, I gotta get this Crooks out as quickly as I can and just start draining all of the resources. But you don't kill them that quick, and a lot of times, like, they're just an escape to the wilds away from just getting right back into it. Yeah, that's all, all, the terror with these green decks, right? Yeah, for sure. So it, it it just doesn't feel good, but I have felt favored against everything else that I've played against. <laughs> So I, I definitely recommend trying out the Rectos midrange deck uh, if that's your, your kind of thing. I, I do think it's pretty good. As long as you are in a spot on the ladder where for some reason nobody casts the card Omnath. I mean, 
Or you're just in a stretch of time where people are just tired of casting the card Omnath. That might be it. Okay, other archetypes. Gruel and Mono Green sort of take up a similar headspace to me when I'm thinking about the metagame. They're, they're in a similar spot. Mono Green obviously has much better mana. <laughs> Gruel has access to Bonecrusher Giant, honestly, is kind of the biggest deal there. Uh, Embercleave is, is certainly very, very good, and playing against Mono Green and not having to think about Embercleave on their attacks makes combat way easier. Makes your turns way easier when you don't have to think about Embercleave in a turn or Embercleave in two turns. I have not yet... I've played against Mono Green a bunch of times. I haven't played a single game where they didn't start out with the one-mana guy that Warm has Shambler? a plus one, plus one count. Yeah, Fungal Shambler. Swarm Shambler. not played a single game where they don't have that. A swarm. What's it called? Swarm Shambler. Swarm Shambler. Yeah. Yes. It's a bunch of funguses, as far as I can tell. Fungi? Fungi. And that card's really good in that deck. There's so many creatures that just have incidental plus one plus one counters, and if you're playing a removal strategy against them, it's so hard to not let them end up with a bunch of, like, three plus free one ones on their side of the board. It's also a deck that plays the Great Hand, right? So even if you draw Swarm Shambler later in the game after you've Great Hand yeah. a little bit, it's you just get so much value off of it. Though, yeah. I mean, you've, you've already got the Great Hand to play, so you're doing it, but... <laughs> I have heads up just beaten, like, one... I've had Kroxa in play, they've had the Great Engine play, and I've just... That is a apparently a winning matchup for the Kroxa side of things. Uh, okay, I would not have expected that. I thought, like, Primal Might would have been able to end you. You know, they kind of need to draw some specific stuff, and if they have, like, one turn where they don't play multiple creatures, then they just end up falling, like, very far behind. Because you don't have just Kroxa. Like, you have, like, Magmatic Channeler going to help your draws be better, and then you draw some removal spells. And I do sideboard in Artifact Hate against that deck because they've got Stone Cold Serpent and Great Henge, so. So your Shredded Sails come in. My Yes, my Shredded Sails <laughs> come in. My Embrace Shield Breaker comes in. Mono Green is one of those decks that I think is terrible against Omnath. But sure. it's kind of playing in the other space in the format. Like, mm-hmm. I, Rogues is really tough to beat a Stone Coil Serpent backed up yeah. with creatures. So that's kind of where I imagine the place of Mono Green to be. More so mm-hmm. than Gruel Adventures. Because I think Embercleave gives you a shot against Omnath some of the time. Yeah. But Mono Green doesn't really have that kind of push. And you can kill a Lotus Cobra way more easily oh, yeah. with Gruul. Because you have Stomp and Spikefield Hazard. You actually can just not lose the game if they play Lotus Cobra turn two on the play. The removal in the green deck is pretty awkward for that sort of stuff. Primal Might is a good card, and Crash Through has or Ram Through has been Certainly necessary against the deck that's like full of death touch creatures. It's the only way that they can get rid of it without getting kind of owned by Meyer Triton. But it is not efficient removal for taking out two drops. That what, is a huge weakness of the deck. One, Yeah, one thing I see coming up a lot in this deck is playing like a Swarm Shambler or a Stone Coaster Brown turn one on the draw. And then your opponent plays a Lotus Cobra and you've got a Primal Might, but you can't cast it because it just trades. You have to cast it because it trades with yeah. Lotus Cobra. But then you're, you're trading two cards for Lotus Cobra. Yeah. No, not ideal. And so your entire not. turn, too. So you're just going to lose that game anyway. Yeah. Yeah, they will... Right. You're not putting them under any pressure, and they're just going to 
okay, I'll cast my Omnath on turn four then. Like, this is fine. So if you're a mono green aficionado, I would strongly suggest adding red to your deck. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. Rogues is also an archetype that has gained a ton of traction since it never has to play against Uro anymore, which is... I know the hot take, the like Jerry T take was like, Uro is not the thing keeping these decks down. They could beat Uro if they wanted to. But Rogues doesn't appear to have the ability to beat a Kroxa. So I can't imagine that it had the ability to beat an Uro ever. You just can't afford to give your opponent their best card for free and also be <laughs> unable to interact with it. Yeah. And that's why you can't beat Kroxa. Like you can't counter it. I mean, you can, I guess, but it'll come back your creatures all mill your opponent so you're just they're just gonna find Kroxa. it's such a disaster and it is neat against like omnath and stuff if you can kind of control their omnaths with heartless act or lofty denials or something like that mm -hmm. and then just like put them in a squeeze you can try to get you know mill them out because <laughs> you're not really dealing damage that yeah i mean the instant the incidental milling against the, particularly the Genesis Ultimatum version mm -hmm. of the deck, where they like have to do a lot of ultimatums and escape to the wilds in order to win. If you incidentally mill like 20-ish cards, then they might just not be able to do it. Like, you might kind of have them in the lock at that point, kind of. And if they're, also if they're just Genesis Ultimatum, it means they've got Kenrath or Terror of the Peaks or both. And your Zareth Sand gets huge value. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think Rogues is pretty defensible. That Lord is just really nicely positioned. What's the name of it? Soaring Thought Thief. Soaring Thought Thief. Well done. <laughs> uh, Blue-black for a 1-3, flash flying, and whenever you attack them with one or more Rogues, they mill two, and then if they have eight or more cards in their graveyard, your Rogues get plus one, plus oh. And the fact that it just doesn't die to stomp, the fact that it has flash so you can keep up your lofty denial and then cast that if they don't walk into it, like, it's just a pretty nice card that I've had trouble playing. Or, like, it has done a lot of stuff for its mana cost. It's the perfect, and, the perfect lofty denial pair. Because not only yeah. can you just play lofty denial if you don't play this, but after you play this, your lofty denial is powered up. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really nice. Just... A good card that unfortunately requires you to play some pretty medium cards to go along with it. I mean, yeah, but you also get to play Brazen Borrower. Yeah, do love Brazen Borrower. It won the the challenge that was dominated by Omnath. Yeah, yeah, Rogues won that challenge. Yeah, it played against yeah. the Genesis Ultimatum Omnath in the finals, so that's neat. <laughs> yeah, and, and also one thing I do want to point out, as well is that Drown in the Lock is really good in this deck. Oh yeah, of course. Drown in the Lock's like a fine card. I think Essence Scatter and Negate are both really good right now. Mm -hmm. Mostly because they're kind of easy on your mana and efficient. Drown in yeah, the Lock is really bad right now. Yeah, Drown in the Lock is like frequently both of those cards. And if you go turn one Thieves Guild Enforcer, or even you just like attack Soaring Thought Thief on turn three, usually Drown in the Lock is gonna do something. If you untap and attack again, Drown the Lock is just Counterspell. With Doomblade as the other with, half Yeah, of with Doomblade too. Yeah. So you kill an Omnath if you don't counter it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of nice stuff going on. It is really possible to have kind of awkward draws. And if you get stuck on mana and have like a couple of your threes in your hand, as opposed to the disruption that you want, then, you know, the deck has some, some number of stumbling problems. 
But when the stuff lines up and you have like, you know, two threats and then decent disruption and like you clock them pretty well and it can get pretty frustrating trying to play through the disruption if they have the right ones. It's it's cheap and powerful, so. I will say the mana is a little shaky sometimes because you have two different colors of one drops and you want mm-hmm. to play pretty much a gold card on turn two every time, like the especially the Soaring Thought Thief. And then both of your three drops are double colored, Brazen Borrower and Nighthawk Scavenger. Is that the name of that card? Yep. Yeah. Which, when you're choosing a side for your Dark Water Pathway, <laughs> Clear Water Pathway, is that the name of it? Yep. I think you got both of the names of it. Okay. So double credit. Yeah. When you're choosing a, a side for that, you should like leave it in your hand as long as possible so you can inform your draw. Definitely. Because it is really important if you don't draw the Temple of Deceit or a Fable Passage or something like that. Yeah. Man, I've played against rogues a bunch, and I don't think I've gotten Lofty Denial a single time. That's really weird. That is really odd. <laughs> it's one of the like better counterspells for that strategy. Yeah, Especially I've since they have Drowned Flying Man in their deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't put Flying Man in your deck unless you've really got some plans for that thing. The plan is to cash it in once you had eight cards in their library <laughs> or in their graveyard. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of nice for that. It's an enabler. It like does a couple of the things you need it to do. And then when you don't need it anymore, you just get a card out of it. And honestly, you're never really sacrificing it unless you're looking... Because if you have Swearing Thought Thief, you're going to keep it in play because it's a 2-1 flyer. It's a fine mm-hmm. card. It's kind of damage kills your opponent. But if you don't have it, it's just going straight to the graveyard so you can find it. Because that's how your creatures become actual threats. Unless you've got, like, a double brazen bar or draw or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, sometimes you just punk them out with Xerath San and get oh, them sure. to play. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that definitely can happen. And it's a thing to look out for against this deck. If your opponent ever makes a weird attack and they've got four mana up, like... But they're probably gonna if you've got something in your graveyard, you're gonna get Zara Sand. So it's it's a ninjutsu play. Yeah. Uh let's see. Other decks that we have not talked about yet. There's a fair number of blue black or Grixis controlish decks that are mostly based around Maze Mind Tome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the Grixis ones will have some number of Croxes in them. And, you know, struggle to do the Crooks. Like, they're pretty much incapable of casting and escaping a Crooks on the same turn. But they need something. And and they're playing red pretty much just for Bonecrusher Giant and for Crooksa. But Maze Mind Tome I've been pretty impressed with. It's it's a strong card. Oof, and it yeah. makes these decks work. Yeah, Maze Mind Tome, not surprised. It's yeah. one of the better cards in the core set, I thought, at the time. And, well, what? there weren't a lot of great cards in that core set. Honestly, thank thank goodness. Like we yeah. should have more sets like that. A couple too many decent cards in the core set before that one. So yeah. I like the the Grixis decks. I think are mostly overreaching to play Kroxa. I think if you just play blue black control with Bone Crusher Giant, you have a like cleaner mana base. You're not stretching to kind of fit Kroxa in, and you get all the Shark Typhoon stuff you had earlier. Uh, you, it's just, the mana is just really hard without playing a bunch of temples or without having access to the red black pathway because it's not in this mm-hmm. set. I think you need one of those t- two things to happen in order to like reliably play Kroxa 
And I think playing a bunch of temples is a death sentence. Even just the path, even getting the pathway is not, because you don't want to use your like second and third red mana on most turns anyway, except for like the one turn that you're escaping your Kroxa. So having another just pure red source on the table is like pretty bad for these decks. That's true. And I think almost every game, I, I played against Grixis several times. I think maybe 100% of the games, they had at least one or two turns where they clearly weren't able to do like the double spelling that they wanted to do because their their lands were getting in the way. That's why I think if you want to play Grixis right now, it's probably smart to just play Bonecrusher Giant as your only mm-hmm. red card. Because splashing that's pretty easy with the river glide pathway. Sure. That's lava on the back half. And you can play a couple temples and a fabled passage and reliably cast stomp into bone crusher is really good out of your just general mm-hmm. control shell. Yeah, I, I I think I agree. I just have easily outcroaked my Grixis opponents because they just have had a lot of trouble making that work. I guess the other thing that they get is that part of their mana base includes spike field hazard as well. And that card is pretty good. It, it can still include that. Yeah, if you're playing the just Bone Crusher in Grixis, then you can absolutely still play a couple Spike Field Hazards. Yeah, it's just like kind of an extra land spell. The Double Fist, yeah. as it's intended to be played with. I definitely find myself playing it as a land most of the time, but when you want to cast it, you are so happy that it's not just a land. And extra lands is good in a Maze Mind Tome deck because you can use all your mana. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The one thing that I... I mean, there, there's several things and several reasons that I am not super inclined to play these decks. They're kind of like pigeonholed into being neutralized decks. And there's just a lot of times where neutralized is not... Like, a cancel is just not that good. Yeah, I think neutralized is not very good. Like, compared to just Drown a Lock, Lofty Denial, Essence Scatter, and Negate, I think those cards right. are all really good. Lofty Denial, very specifically. But the other three, pretty generally. Mm-hmm. Neutralized is just... A little hard on your mana base. Like, we don't have shock lands anymore, so you have to work a little bit for it. Yeah. And you never really want to cycle it if you're trying to control. <laughs> Especially since you're, you're there's no fail state of, like, I don't have enough lands to play. Because you can just play a bunch more lands in your deck nowadays. So, cancel's just not in a good spot. No. it's I, I played one game against, I think, Demir, where I agonizing remorse them. And saw like an Ashiok and multiple neutralized, like two or three neutralizes in their hand, and a Maze Mind Tome. Uh, so I just took the Maze Mind Tome, and then their hand was just cancels and a five mana sorcery. And they ended up cycling both of their neutralizes before the end of that game because they just never, because I knew about them specifically, but you can always know about the neutralize. Like, y- you know when they've got cancel up, but they just never had an opportunity to cancel a spell that was worth canceling. It's like when you're playing limited, right? And your opponent just leaves open three mana and passes a turn. You know they have something. Neutralized yeah. telegraphs the same exact thing. Yeah. So I had not been impressed with that card. And, you know, I'm playing a, a mid-range board control removal deck that cancel should be great against. And it just kind of sucks against me. So I, I'd look elsewhere. And I think Demir control itself has a little bit of a problem closing out the game. It's really just Ashok and Shark Typhoon, which means yeah. that Brazen Borrower is kind of a house. Right. Yeah, Brazen Borrower is nutty against both of those cards. And just like the existence of the Omnath decks where they're often a top deck away from just like 
putting you right back up against the wall. And and one of the Omnath decks has Brazen Borrower in it, so you can't just be like, 6-6 six, six Shark, alright, you got like three turns. Like, you might just get that bounced, and that's not good. Yeah, though there are people playing... Goldfish has this as Demir Control, but it is not. It is <laughs> just straight Demir Mill in Standard. Just Ruin Crabs, uh, Frantic Inventories, Maddening Cacophony. Cacophony? Yeah, it's very, it's very tutelage, tutelage is the card that makes the deck work. Yeah, it's just a mill deck, which means you're good against exactly Omnath, and I don't think anything else. I don't think so either. You're definitely not good against Kroxa. Well, no, of uh, course not. And I can't imagine... Like, how are you going to outrace the aggressive green decks? It doesn't seem likely that that's going to happen. You may be I, I think able you... to beat Rakdos midrange if you just... You know, you just can mill, have a bunch of Teferi's tutelages and into the stories. You can, like, race a Kroxa. Yeah, I mean, I've played against this deck a couple of times, and it's, I think, really impossible for them to win after board. Like, I take out all my self-mill cards, I have some hand disruption, I have a lot of cheap threats, including, like, Skyclave Shade, that they put into my graveyard at some point, yeah. and I just get to cast for free for two mana. And it's it's not good for them. I, I I wouldn't recommend it. If you were going to play this deck, I would probably try to get the mill package a little smaller and play like just crabs and tutelages or maybe even just tutelages because you can't afford to spend two mana and a card to mill your opponent for eight. Like you're not going to outrace anything. So you can't be like trying to be the modern mill deck. Like, you're not fast enough to do that, so... And you also don't have the surgical extractions to make yourself not die to their graveyard stuff, so... You've got Cling to Dust? It's not quite the same. No, it's not. Because you, you mill way more than one Kroxa into their graveyard over the course of the game. If you Madden Cacophony and you hit two Kroxas, like, off the first 11 cards, you can only yeah. Cling to Dust one of them, realistically. <laughs> yes. And you don't even draw a card and you have to spend the mana on it it's just not so if you were going to do mill stuff and you think that it's good to win that way which i could i can definitely see um i would try to min reduce that suite down as much as possible and give yourself as many slots for drowning the locks and stuff like that as you can yeah and i think you should only 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 ever play it when people are playing a bunch of omnath like you don't want to play against yeah. anything else at all right you're not excited when they do anything except for play a lotus cobra or whatever yeah exactly all right so we talked a lot about this standard that was supposed to be and i assumed would be an absolute dumpster fire at this point yeah and i hope it continues on this way like i did think uro needed to go because it was oppressing a lot of decks for sure but i'm not sure if i don't think we've seen the end of this standard cycle like we haven't seen the Omnath decks really even fall off. They're 50% of one of the tournaments still. But of one of the... It's so confusing to me that it's just one of the tournaments that was like this. I don't... I I have no idea what to think about this format still. So either people are just trying other stuff, or Omnath is getting figured out, hopefully, or mm -hmm. Omnath decks haven't quite adjusted yet to all the other decks people are building, and then maybe they can come back with a vengeance that seems like the most likely thing to me is that omnath doesn't actually take that much dedication in your deck to be 
crazy good. Like, you don't have to be running Genesis Ultimatum or huge card advantage. Like, you just need some way to trigger it, and then it's doing really wild stuff for you. Yeah, I I think an Omnath and Lotus Cobra and Escape to the Wilds are th- yeah. like a package that you can put in a bunch of different four-color decks. You don't need to, like, go ham with Genesis Ultimatum or Terror of the Peaks. Right. Like you can, I, I agree completely. You can build that deck in a few different ways. And if people are forced to because these decks are doing well against Omnath, we'll start to see it. Yep. And I I have a feeling that we're just going to like keep coming back with new Omnath decks that ad- address however the metagame is trying to attack them. Uh, that, that seems like a really possible thing to do. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing if the format mm-hmm. is as diverse as like two of these tournaments. Yeah, because even if all that decks are present and very good and capable of adapting to everything, as long as everyone else can also keep up, that's more or less fine. And I hope we see that. Yeah, I, I think I mostly agree. My one kind of caveat is that Omnath generally is just not really fun to play against in a way that is, you know, I play against my opponent's Kroxa. Like, I know that it's coming. I, like, play my turns in ways that, like, mitigate it. Like, I know my opponent's Kroxa can come into play next turn if they want to. So I play a Terror of the Peaks. So they have a choice between, do I play this Kroxa or do I find a way to deal with this threat that, like, maybe is going to go over the top? Like, there's a lot of patterns that you figure out with cards that your opponents are playing and, and you can do stuff about them. With Omnath, it's just like you're playing a lot of the game just kind of hoping that they don't have Omnath into Fabled Passage. Because Omnath into Fabled Passage, bounce your Terror of the Peaks. <laughs> or, yeah. or whatever you want to do with five mana after casting your big spell that if you untap with it, you win the game. Like, you can't hold up Heartless Act for the entire game against your opponent's, like, Escape to the Wilds deck. That's the Splinter Twin squeeze. Right. And so that's kind of the the caveat that I have there is, like, there are sizable portions of these games that are kind of miserable experiences. And that, like, unfunness may be a bigger detraction from the format than a lack of balance. So didn't really get to historic. Yeah. We can spend a couple of minutes just like looking at some lists. I don't know anything about historic now. So I, yeah, I don't either. It hasn't, it's changed from just Zendikar rising. Do you have some lists from the competitors you're taking a look at? Yeah. I, I just like grabbed a couple of lists and then autumn posted their lists. And this is, Really just a standard Omnath Genesis Ultimatum deck that also gets to run four Explorers and two Gross Spirals in it. Is this a another deck with Yasharn in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a Yasharn Implacable Earth deck. That's the two white green 4-4 pig that gets you a Plains and a Forest and also has some weird hate, you text. Know, uh, hate, bear, it's a hate bear abilities. It's a hate pig. Come on. It's a hate pig, yeah. One of the cards I've weirdly attached to after i put it on my set review <laughs> list yeah i mean you get excited when those pop up if it wasn't obvious that they were going to this is the second deck i've seen it and this one doesn't even have an ancient two in it <laughs> yes players can't pay life or sacrifice 
permanence permanence to cast spells or activate abilities yeah, so does that do anything in history it stops uh, other omnaths because you can't crack evolving wilds or fatal passage oh yeah that's true that's kind of sick i don't know if it has any does it stop bolus's citadel from doing its thing i don't think so it does it does turn off bolus's oh, okay so you can't nice. pay life to cast spells yeah yeah okay it also stops like several pieces of the it stops like village rights i guess that's I don't know if that's present in the metagame anymore. It doesn't Stops seem sphere. like it would be any any can um Kephas shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this is obviously just Omnath stuff suited for this metagame, being real powerful with six explorers in the deck. Yeah, this seems like kind of the probably enemy number one of the format, I, I would have to guess. God, there's two more Yasharns in the sideboard. <laughs> I didn't realize they were playing a full playset in the seventy five. Yeah, it must be really good in the mirror. That must be just like, you don't want them to be able to do Fable Passage turns and you stop that. I like the split. One Evolving Wilds and one Terramorphic Expanse. You don't want to get spyglassed. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> I mean, it's free, so... Alright, let's see Michael Jacobs playing Neoform. Yep. And this is the very combo-focused version of the deck the seagate stormcaller neoform combo where you get dual caster mages you get all your dual caster mages and glass pool mimics into play and then give them haste and attack and maybe sometimes you have a terror of the peaks so you don't have to use the combat step to do it i like the addition of kira great glass spinner as mm-hmm. a three drop you can get with neoform that kind of protects you also first time i realized kira was legal and historic <laughs> was the second yep, same <laughs> I, I when i saw the list for the first time i that was the first indication that I had that this card was legal. <laughs> Historic, constantly surprising us. The four Sphinx of Foresight make it seem like it's really dedicated to trying to hit that like turn three combo. I th- but I think you I think that's probably correct and what you have to do if you're yeah. trying to play this deck. Because you there's a significant portion of your deck. That not only do you not want to draw, it's just actively bad for you to draw. Right. The more cards you draw, the less capable you are of actually winning the game with your combo. It's it's not like you can draw a bunch of bad cards and then cobble them together like later in the game once you've got your, your main thing. No, once you've drawn your dualcaster mages, they're just in your hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's not a lot you can do with them. You cast them. You 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 cast a Valakut Awakening to put them back in your deck. Yeah. That is handy. Yeah, the one deck that putting them back in your deck is better than discarding to Valakut, you know. Yeah. That that text is actually better than the kind of normal text would be. But yeah, I I have my doubts about how consistent this combo is. But Hobie Hobie crushes it. I mean, I don't. We saw him. <laughs> I hate hate these like super fragile combo decks. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Three Fae of Wishes is so. So this is the one. Like you know, you got four Sphinx of Foresight to try to maximize your like quick comboing. But then there's a Neoform in the sideboard and three Fae of Wishes in the main deck to like give you access to more Neoforms over the course of a game. But it reduces your ability to like early combo by twenty five percent. Yeah, I kind of hate that a lot <laughs> because I'm not even sure if I, I mean I'm sure Michael Jacobs played 
a lot of games with this deck because that's kind of what he does. Yeah. But it's so weird to me that Fae of Witches is what you come off with this deck where you're not really trying to play a long game, which is what Fae is good at. Mm -hmm. And your combo is so... needs to get off quickly. It's not like the Fae of Witches getting you hate card or letting you play around a bunch of stuff is going to be Well, this is a very... This is an incredibly deep wish board. Yeah, and, and there's like a Nisha who shakes the world and a Chemistry's Insight, so you can play a long game, but that's like... At that point, why not just play Ugin, because that card will win the game on its own. Right. And your other cards are not going to help out your like single card threat. Like, part of the impetus here makes sense to me, because your combo takes up so much space in your deck that you kind of can't sideboard anyways so wishboard is tempting because of that but yeah fave wishes is just so expensive for this type of deck and i kind of would like just a, a closer to real sideboard and you could play like a bunch of salundi visions or something in the main deck I, like obviously he's played a lot more games with this i'm, I'm just speculating wildly but we'll, we'll see we'll see how he how he gets there in the grand finals yes the name of the tournament not the ultimate match <laughs> well he might make the ultimate match who knows he took winota there nobody believed let's see jagesh kowalski is playing a felidar retreat version of the omnath deck i think there are multiple versions of omnath stuff you can do in historic we'll, we'll find out suspiciously what is like a standard deck except for you get to play explorer uro and one oracle Moldaya. Yep, the standard the standard legal cards do seem to work pretty well with Omnath, it seems. And yeah, I haven't seen many of the historic lists, so I don't really know what the format is like. My guess is it is similar to standard in that you've got your Omnath decks and then you've got your decks that are tuned to beat the Omnath decks. That makes sense to me. There's probably some like linear combo decks too, like Michael Jacobs playing. There was the Citadel decks beforehand, the Goblins deck beforehand, so maybe those make an appearance if people want to do that. Uh, let's see, what is Montserrat playing? Blue-White Control? Yeah, straight-up Blue-White Control. With kind of the trademark of the historic Blue Control decks being that Pact of Negation is just straight-up good in Teferi decks. Oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Oh, man, Search for Scanta? Blast from the past. I love that card. I know. Brings me back. Yeah, I, if this deck is good, then Historic is probably in a fine place. The I guess, except for the two Grafdiggers Cages main deck, that's an indication <laughs> that something has gone dreadfully wrong with the format. That doesn't even work against the Omnath decks, does it? It's just against... It stops... I mean, it stops Uro, I guess. It stops Genesis Ultimatum, right? Uh, you can still draw the cards. So it does yeah, stop the... Yeah, I mean, you draw the cards, but it doesn't let you go off with it yeah fair you can still put lands into play you just can't put creatures into yeah play. so that's even true. if you like reveal it does limit you right because lotus cover only makes one mana right so you can like put two lands into play to generate two mana and draw like three cards but you probably won't be able to cast any of the cards but if you yeah. if a lotus cover is one of them you just play the lotus cover the next turn you you, you know sure so it's like a i think you're most there Mostly trying to beat the expensive stuff with counter spells here, which is you gotta have them at the right times. So it's not my favorite way to deal with that. Four Narset is smart though. I like Four Narset for sure. Yeah, well, every deck in 
I guess modern magic nowadays, historic magic, just has so right. many ways to draw cards. It just draws infinite cards. And my favorite Gideon of the Trials Wrath of God combo that was like never really a thing that worked in standard or whatever, but I appreciate seeing it here. Do you any any other historic rumblings you've heard? Because I've I know very very little. Nah, all right, I'll mostly I don't know anything about this format, Lee. Yeah, when I watch this tournament, I'm just gonna be like, all right, when's the historic portion? I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, the games are engaging. Let's see some Yasharns. Yeah. I mean, I I I feel like I have a solid grasp on like what exists in standard at least, and what you're capable of doing, and sort of like what matchups generally look like when they play out. But I don't know where the where that format is going to settle down like i don't really know what's going to happen there so even with a bunch of gameplay and a bunch of watching streams and stuff i i still am feeling a little bit like man this this standard format is kind of confusing to me historic i just don't even have like ground to stand on but sometimes i learn new cards are in the format today the podcast day (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so nothing else on historic from me certainly Yep, I've got another. Historic is just a format I'm going to be watching. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much it for us for today. Lee, you got anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I'm, I'm set for now. We'll come yeah. back after watching the grand finals and recording our limited episode. We'll be done by the time we do another not normal episode. Yeah, so probably gotta... nobody wants to hear us BSing about Hades, so I don't really have anything else to talk about. <laughs> like We can do that after we wrap. Yes. <laughs> another bonus episode just hades focused entirely once i get to like heat 20 or so then i'll feel competent to to talk about it so oh see i'm not a heat 20 and i feel i feel like i can just say what stuff i mean i have ideas and stuff i i have things that i like and don't like i don't know how well they hold up at like really high difficulties so and i know that like for the true hades aficionados 20 heat is not a really high difficulty but that's well, see, certainly out of reach for me right now the thing about the high high difficulties because I, I have a friend charlie who plays on really high heat like 50 plus heat it's mm-hmm. a bunch of restart starting the game to make sure you have the right boon you want because the higher heat mm-hmm. you go like the less control you have over getting stuff and it's sure. so punishing like you, you get randomized choices you're basically forced to picking a choice at the beginning of the game yeah so you have to reset a bunch to get the like a proper one and then go from there <laughs> wait and resetting doesn't even do it right you need to kill it you need to take the time to kill yourself in order you can to give actually... up the run to die but when you give up now you get the exact same thing at the start of the run oh do you really i haven't given up yet that's yeah that's sad so if you reset you you like you have to like the fastest way is probably finish act one so you can go stand in lava and ask for or something it's it takes a long time to die when you've got three death defiances. So, well, you can't have that much in high heat. Oh, can you not? Oh, because you turn off all your mirror stuff, right? right and you take right, a bu- right. bunch of damage. You can easily die on the first floor. Yeah, you can just walk <laughs> into a room and kill yourself. All right, that's fair. Yeah, so more we we did fit in some Hades BSing, <laughs> I guess. That's good. Yeah, so that's it for us. We really appreciate you listening. If you want to check us out online, if you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. At Lee McLeo. Uh, if you want to lend us some support, our Patreon is patreon.com slash Grindcast. We would really, really appreciate any support and get you in on the Discord and, you know, we can chat about Hades live there <laughs> if, if, if you wanted. At the drop of a hat. I yeah, it's absolutely the game that is absorbing. I I I 
explicitly took some time and was like, I'm going to play some standard ladder. I'm going to play a bunch of limited. And I like specifically put Hades down and played, you know, a ton of drafts and laddered up to like, I don't know, plat one or so. Uh, from from silver so I got I got the matches in. I, I played the magic and actually did have a lot of fun once I started making myself play magic but it took a, a conscious decision to put Hades down to play some magic so I, I've been really enjoying the drafts I've been doing I, I haven't played standard but I've done a lot of drafts and I've been really enjoying yeah. those yeah I've done a lot of drafts too I'm really excited to do our limited bonus episode yep me too thanks everybody so much for listening thank you for your time and have a great week Bye.